If you have a Bible, if you would turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians asks, among other questions, how are we to live in light of Jesus' return? And to frame our text for a moment, I want us to just think of how we live when things go well. Well, you know, the furnace works no matter how cold it is outside. The car starts. The coffee is good, fresh ground, if you like that. The kids or the people around you get along with you and you get along with them. Your job is going well. You might say, well, that sounds like a, a, a great existence, but sometimes it is. Sometimes things go really well. And sometimes we're even taught or told that if we love God well enough, then everything in our life will go well. Down from the coffee, to the kids, to the grandkids, to our work, And if things aren't going well, there is a natural question. What am I doing wrong? Surely there must be something that I am doing wrong if things are not going well because I am meant to live a life of... Well, maybe we don't dare say it, but we want it to be so. A life of ease. But I think this framework that... Maybe our culture sets up, and sometimes the church has even fed into this framework of love Jesus, life goes well. I'm quite sure it doesn't hold up to what the Bible says. And even as we read from 1 Thessalonians this morning, chapter 2, beginning at verse 17, I think we see pretty quickly how it doesn't hold up. This is God's Word that we read. The Apostle Paul speaking says this, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy, a crown of boasting before our Lord at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for your word. And as we come to study it here 
This morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and be present with us. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, our God, our rock, and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was much younger than now, and before there were YouTube videos that told you how to do everything, you could go to the bookstore. And there was this entire rack of books that had the title of whatever the subject was, followed by Four Dummies. Maybe you picked one up if you needed to wire an outlet at your house. It had electrical work for dummies, or auto mechanics for dummies, or differential equations. Well, maybe it didn't have that. But there's the idea that you didn't need to know anything, really. You just picked up the book and you followed the instructions. And so in that spirit, I thought, well, the Apostle Paul, what was he seeking to do? Gospel ministry. So how do you do that? Well, in the case of the church in Thessalonica, here's how it worked. There was a guy in town. His name was Jason. He was kind of the person behind the local ministry work, if you will. And so the Apostle Paul came into town. So having a big-name conference speaker maybe helps you out, right? I mean, if you could get the Apostle Paul, that's big. And he's your church planter, after all. That's even better. So step one, have a local guy. Step two, bring in a big-name person. All right, so far, so good. This sounds like a pattern of church planting or gospel ministry that could be embraced by our local and evangelical culture, right? Well, the next steps are kind of peculiar. And they start almost immediately. Have your, have your worship service and have it make the news. Well, that's good. We want it to make the news. Have local government officials become aware that you're doing gospel ministry. That's even better. Like your sphere of influence is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is week number two of ministry. Everyone in town has heard about you. Oh, and week three, the the local guy that's hosting the ministry, Jason, he gets arrested. Okay. (laughs) Maybe we'll scratch that off the plan. That doesn't. That was the week we were launching our new ministries, not the week that our main guy was getting arrested. And then week three and a half, oh, Paul and the people with him, because the local officials are looking to get them and arrest them as well, they have to leave town in order to avoid being captured. Okay, so what are you left with then? You had this plan to do ministry. The local guy's been arrested. The people that you brought in to help have fled and been run out of town, more or less. That doesn't sound like a very promising start. So there must be something different. It must not be that we can just say, oh, this is a pattern and we want to come and duplicate it. 
Because I would guess that week four, there wouldn't be a lot of people at church. Wouldn't you guess? I mean, the speaker is gone. The guy that has started the church has been arrested. Like, it would be kind of risky to show up for week four. And yet, interestingly enough, the church keeps going. And what was it about the gospel and ministry that kept it going in the midst of great adversity and trouble? Well, if you look a little deeper in our text, you see that there were things that were going on that were not procedural. They weren't the management team or the list of procedures to follow. Because we see that the Apostle Paul, even though he was there for less than a month, demonstrates a very clear love for the people. And even more so, demonstrates a greater love for the Gospel. And so if you wonder how in your life How in my life can I demonstrate the gospel? How can I live out the gospel? It isn't I live it out by showing everybody how my life is perfect and everything goes right for me. I live it out by saying in the midst of whatever happens, I want to demonstrate a love for people and a greater love for the gospel. Well, what does that look like in our text? Well, the Apostle Paul demonstrates it first in the midst of challenge. And make no mistake, the challenge is significant. What are the circumstances that he is facing? Verse 17, he gives us the circumstance. Since we were torn away from you. This wasn't voluntary. This wasn't something he wanted to happen. Some translations use the word orphan here. Since since you were orphaned. Russell Moore, in this month's Christianity Today, wrote an article about when he and his wife went to pick up their son who was in an orphanage. And he said what was striking as he walked into that place was that the children were quiet. And if you're familiar with the concept of attachment... It's actually a a really common reality. If somebody is neglected and they are disconnected from human contact, they give up. And, And quiet is a sign that they've given up. And he said before they were able to take their son home, they had the opportunity to hold him for several hours or for a period of time and had this opportunity several times, and he began to develop the ability to cry. (laughs) When they would set him back down, he would begin to cry because he had begun to form some sort of an attachment. And so there's this sense in the circumstance that the Apostle Paul is saying, we had such a short time together and we were ripped apart. And 
you, you can even appreciate the, the underlying concern that exists as they were ripped apart. Is it going to be that the relationship we had simply disintegrates and disappears? Maybe, and he uses the term, we were torn apart in, in, in the flesh, but not in the spirit. Physically, we're no longer in proximity to one another, but there was something more that was holding us together. And the reality for God's people is there has to be something more that holds us together. It cannot just be that we're in the same proximity to one another on Sunday morning. And, you know, thankfully, uh, most of you take showers and everything works okay. You know, people don't say offensive things to each other, or at least not that they've said to me at church. I hope that's your experience too. Um, and so you sense, oh, well, this is physically, this is a comfortable reality. But especially... When there's trouble, there has to be something more than that. And so Paul says, even though we're physically apart, we're still held together. You are not orphaned, even though it feels like it at times. But I feel that too, like my children, who I love and I care for. And I haven't launched any of my children out of the house, but... There's got to be that sense if you're a parent and you're sending your kid out of your house. They don't live there anymore. You don't have any control. You can't protect them anymore. What's going to happen to them? Will they find a way to stand, a place to stand? You can appreciate Paul's concern. And there could have even been the idea existing there with the church that, well, Paul doesn't care. You know, seeds of doubt get planted, especially when things don't don't go well. There's even a a term for it. If you have a faith crisis in your life, what does that circulate around? Usually when things don't go well. I'd use the word chaos. Paul says there's, there's been all kinds of chaos. And again, if you look at our text, verse 18... I desired again and again to come to you, but Satan hindered us. So the the author of chaos is Satan. And he just loves to create as much chaos as possible. The word hindered here, some commentators say this has like a a military idea behind it. Like, Like the idea of blowing up a road so somebody can't make progress in advancing. And maybe we have that concept even in front of us on the world stage, right? How do you stop someone from advancing? You blow up a bridge. And so Paul is essentially saying, all of the bridges that would have gotten me back to there, Satan has been blowing them up. And so I've been looking for all these different ways to get past the chaos, and I haven't been able to. And of course, we like to think that certainly there are plenty of dumb things we do that are, you know, throwing up roadblocks that keep things from getting done. Um, The the chief enemy of of forwarding the gospel sometimes is our own stupidity, right? But it isn't just that. 
And sometimes we want to make it into, oh, if I'd made a different decision or if, if I had done it differently. And there's not an alternative world that Paul is wishing for. He says, this is the world I live in, where Satan is active and Satan wants to destroy the church. And again, part of our current discourse in the world is, are people crazy? And the answer is no. Is Satan crazy? Apply that same... People can be crazy. Is Satan crazy? He has one goal. And he doesn't care how he gets there. He doesn't care how he gets there. He wants to undermine the gospel, and he will do anything, no matter how insane it appears. And he is against you. He is seeking to destroy you. Not some impersonal force or your own foolish decisions, but actually a real enemy that has you in his sights and wants it all to go bad. And through temptation, through chaos, through whatever means, his goal is for the church to fail. So the Apostle Paul sets up the circumstance. And I want us to think of the circumstances for in our world for a moment. And maybe we can especially see that on a, a global scale. Like, there are wars and rumors of wars. There are things that are being blown up. And sometimes we just think, And how naive are we to think that it is one person against another? Or it is one idea against another? There is a war. And Satan will do anything. But in the midst of that, I want to make it a little closer to home. How does that war present in your life? What is the current circumstance that the devil would seek to use in your life to be a front for doubt? That the devil would seek to have to destroy your faith? The devil loves to use relationships in a way to damage faith. He loves to use comfort as a way to damage faith. He also loves to use adversity. Think of your circumstance. And then I want us to apply the Apostle Paul's concern and the Bible's concern for circumstance. What does that concern look like? Well, the Apostle Paul is concerned about the church Drifting away from the faith. He wanted them to continue. We see that in verse 3. That no one be moved by these afflictions. That 
your, your feet be planted and that you even expect them. Do you expect it? Do you expect that you're going to walk out the door and you're going to face temptation and affliction? Do you expect that suffering is going to come to your life? Suffering that maybe you didn't cause and you think you don't deserve? What will it look like? Are you ready for that? And one of the the startling things, one of the startling truth claims that Paul makes is that he was expecting suffering. And he was expecting it for the churches that he was starting. And he was expecting that because people were aligning with the gospel, they were going to face earthly suffering, being arrested, and maybe even death. And yet, they were to stand firm and not be moved. In order to stand firm, there's got to be a sense that there is a greater kingdom. There is something more than what is, is just in front of you. What is he seeking to do in verse 2? To exhort them in the faith. He sends Timothy. He says, I want you to continue. And I can't get there but we're going to find a way around what the devil's trying to do. If we keep pushing, we know there are people that need the gospel, that need to be discipled, and if Satan keeps on putting up obstacles, we're going to find a way around them. We're going to find a way. Because If you suffer with Christ, so also you will be raised with him. There is death and resurrection in view. And if you approach suffering trying to dodge death, then you will be blown around. If your goal is I am staying as far away from suffering as possible, then the winds of the culture will blow you every direction in order to avoid suffering. And the gospel says, instead of avoiding suffering, you embrace it. And our culture says, never. Never will I embrace that. Never would I seek that. Never will I seek to prosper through it. And I want you to just think about how this changes a paradigm. In our world, when death is faced, we seek to avoid it. When suffering is faced, we say, what is the repair? What is the fix? Maybe some of you have been in that moment where you sat and the doctor has said, cancer. Or has spoken words of that are not good. And in those moments, it is fine to say, is there a cure? 
It is fine to say that. But there is something greater that needs to be understood. That God has chosen you to enter into suffering. And He wants you to be changed through that suffering. And whether He fixes the problem or not, you say, I will enter into the suffering that God has chosen for me And I will continue to stand in my faith even though the wind may be fierce. Because I know that even if if I get a temporary reprieve in this world, and praise the Lord when He gives that, when He gives healing to sickness and gives a temporary reprieve, praise the Lord. But the Christian knows that there is suffering in this world. And I suffer for Jesus and with Jesus, looking ahead to the day when I also will be raised with him. So his concern is that we continue. And his concern is also that our faith would not be canceled. Maybe to use a modern-day analogy, Satan wants to cancel your faith. And Paul has this significant concern, and maybe it's kind of hard to get our minds around in verse 5. He says, I don't want my work to be in vain. May it please be that the work that I did among you, the gospel that was preached, the love that I have for you, may it be that it is not in vain. And Hebrews 13, verse 16 and 17, has this picture that leaders in the church are called to report. Like at the day of judgment, the leaders, the pastors, the elders, the people in the church, they're called to report about the people that are under their care. And, And here's what it says. It says, Make it that leaders, may they report with joy the work that they did. But if they report about you and they say, if they are not able to report with joy, it is your loss as well as theirs. And the Apostle Paul says, I don't want it to be a loss. I don't want to stand at the judgment day and report that the church in Thessalonica, I loved them with everything that I had to love. I proclaimed the gospel and did everything I could to fight against the persecution and the roadblocks that Satan kept putting up. But it was for naught. And the the Apostle Paul understands what his legacy is. His legacy is found in the joy of seeing God's people love the gospel and love each other. And even he looks ahead, that joy of standing and saying, Lord, thank you for the privilege of working in Thessalonica. Thank you for the suffering that I entered into on behalf of the gospel. Thank you that by your grace and mercy... The church there was not destroyed or canceled by adversity. 
the more the world changes, the more it stays the same. The battle lines are still drawn. Satan still wishes to cancel the church. He wishes for the reports of leaders to be of grief and sadness, and the reports of congregants that the church did nothing for me. It was of no benefit to me. And it is in the interest of God's people. It is in our interest to say we did not despair. We did not give up. But we knew the love of the people that God put in our lives. And this simply isn't that that leaders are called to love the church, although it certainly is that. But it's that each of you are called to love the church. Each of you are called to invest your life in other people and have concern for them. Each of you should be concerned not of your own legacy, but of that day when you'll report. And you'll stand before the Lord regarding how well you loved others and how clearly you lived out the gospel for them to see. And I always think that it's, it's hard to even think of that without feeling a, a sense of, of, of joy and conviction. The joy in just thinking of the amazing things that God does in front of you at times. And don't ever miss those. Sometimes we're so concerned with the details of our lives, and I'm convinced that this is one of the devil's primary tools for our generation is make you so busy that you don't have time to see what the Lord is doing in your life or in the people around you. Make you so driven by following the plan or the procedure that you just miss what the Lord does. So take the time to reflect on what the Lord does and just be amazed as the Apostle Paul is. And we'll see in the the text coming up and then Pastor John won't have a sermon for next Sunday. But that, sorry about that. There's that sense of Paul is just blown away. Like, I wasn't sure what I was going to find. But the Lord did something. And what was found is amazing. Don't be so busy to miss it. If you're a parent, don't be so busy as to miss what the Lord's doing in the lives of your kids. Don't be so busy to miss what the Lord's doing in your life. But also then, there's that sense of conviction too. Do the people around me know that same concern that I have for them? It's a reflection of my greater concern for the gospel. How How can I show that to my neighbors? the people that are around me at the workplace, to others at church. So Paul's concerned. He does not want to labor in vain. I also think that one of the ways that the, the devil works to seek to, to destroy spiritual growth is through adversity, but also 
through that subtle lie of telling you that you should have comfort. And that idea that you can cut corners to get comfort. Spiritual growth is not a corner-cutting endeavor. And if you think that you can get from spiritually dead to spiritually alive in 3.7 seconds with the turbocharged Bible study technique, or the turbocharged, or the latest book is going to just blow your spiritual life to new highs that you've never seen before, d- don't even buy that book. It'll disappoint you. And if it doesn't disappoint you, then you probably don't understand what spiritual growth is. If it, becomes, if it comes to you really easy, it's probably not growth. And there's this sense of the spirit, for spiritual growth, there needs to be constant stretching. Stretch but not break. If your faith is not constantly being stretched, it will go dormant. If it's not constantly growing, it will grow dormant. But it's a day-to-day event where you say, how can my faith be stretched? And the more your faith is stretched, then the more adversity falls within it. There's this concept of the greater your faith is, the more adversity that comes, the more you'll be able to deal with the adversity. And the more you pursue comfort and compromise, the smaller your faith gets. And the more it seems like when adversity comes, your prayer should be like this. Dear God, please let me sin in order to not have to face the adversity that's coming my direction. Please help me shortcut because I know that I'm not supposed to have trouble. And then it becomes really easy to rationalize and to think since I'm supposed to be comfortable, therefore it is okay for me to sin in order to continue to achieve that comfort. And it's a worthy question. If the day comes, is our faith, has it been stretched, and is it big enough that events of persecution and trouble will not blow it apart? I'll leave you with that question and move on because the kind of the last thought that kind of pulls it all together is our calling. The Apostle Paul understood his calling was to live out the gospel no matter what. He was confident no matter what. The task that is before me, I will carry it out for the day of Christ Jesus. He was confident to proclaim Jesus. And he, even as he left Thessalonica, he kept traveling. He kept proclaiming the gospel. And the trouble kept on following him. But he kept going anyway. There has to be a sense when adversity hits that you've got a calling that isn't your own. That you've been bought by, bought with a price. And you're called to glorify God in what you do. Otherwise, 
Otherwise, we'll give up. Continue in your calling. And how do we continue in our calling when things are challenging? Well, we lean on the Lord. We recognize that God uses trouble for our good. And we, we look toward that podium. The Olympics recently ended, and, you know, the goal for every Olympian is that you'd make the podium, right? Preferably the, the middle one where you get the gold, but if you can't get there, at least make the podium. And you think of all the training, all of the adversity. I appreciate watching a few skiing runs, and you get one mess up. Like, it's two out of three in certain events. Like, that's your score, is your two best scores out of three. And you, you think of how, how much risk the athlete has to take. And that two out of three is even set up so that they can take risks, so that they can be on the cutting edge, if you will. And there's that goal that's in mind, that if I don't take the risk, I'm not going to get there. Like if I play it safe at the Olympics... If instead of doing three flips with my snowboard, I just do two, I'll never be on the podium. I might be able to get a solid score every single time, but I'll never make the podium unless I take the risk. Now, the reality is that the the risk is is all humanly speaking. Christians are are not called to um, do triple flips, and if I tried, you would not be impressed. Although if that's your calling to be a triple flip snowboarder, that's, that's a worthy calling. But the Lord, when he gives us our calling, when he puts in front of us all of the challenges, he gives us what we need. And is that not the testimony of the Apostle Paul? And I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith. In verse 6, again, I won't go too far, but I heard the good news. (laughs) That I took the risk, and there was no way of me determining whether it was going to work or not. But the Lord did something. And in our lives, it can appear that sharing the gospel or loving other people and loving the Lord even more, it it can seem like there's a huge risk with that. What if I'm rejected? What if things go badly? What if my report isn't good about my sharing the gospel? Or what if I show love and concern and that person takes what I do and turns it back on me and uses it to try to destroy me. What then? And the answer is, well, it wasn't my kingdom to begin with. 
It wasn't my legacy to begin with. And the labor, the labor that is done in the name of Jesus is not in vain, even if in earthly terms it seems to be. What you do for the Lord is not in vain. Even if it is, you finish a building and the next day it gets blown up by the devil. Even if the adversity comes to the point where you lose your life, as Jesus did, yet his losing his life was not in vain. And really, that is why we're here. And that is what we come to celebrate in just a few moments. It isn't that the Apostle Paul perfected a church planting strategy. And that strategy has been used throughout the years and there are churches because of it. It's because the Apostle Paul understood, as we need to also understand, that the Lord compels us to love people, but to love him even more. And with that assurance, come what may, we're confident that our calling is sure. And that in, as we suffer with Jesus, so also we are raised with him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the privilege of the gospel and the confidence that we have that no matter what may come, you are with us. Thank you for the privilege that we have now to come to your table. And I pray that as we come, you would minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen.